This is a special edition of Dolphin Financial Radio. In this podcast, host Dan Wendell brings in a legal expert to discuss issues surrounding estate planning in retirement. As a fiduciary and investment advisor focused on retirement planning, Dan appreciates the importance of having certain legal aspects of your financial life in order. This is why he has invited Debbie Faulkner to join him on a series of estate planning focused podcasts. Debbie is an estate planning business attorney and owner of Burke Faulkner Law Firm in Oldsmar, Florida. She grew up in Palm Harbor, Florida, and has been a lawyer for over a decade. Debbie went to Cornell Law School and obtained her advanced law degree in taxation with a focus on family wealth planning. As a tax lawyer, she is able to integrate tax planning into her estate work. Now, let's begin one of several estate planning-focused conversations on Dolphin Financial Radio. Hi, and welcome to another Dolphin Financial Radio show. I'm Dan Wendell, and today's topic is going to be estate and financial planning when it comes to dealing with black sheep in the family. A lot of families have that one person that just doesn't fit in, causes financial grief or just social grief in the family. And the question is, how do you deal with them? If you want to leave them money in your will or you want to pass on assets to these types of people and you want to try and be fair or you want some specific rules, what do you do? And that's what we're going to talk about today. What do you do? What kind of scenarios we might face? And what are the legal requirements to handling this? And to help me with that, I'm bringing on a special guest. She's been on before. She's an estate planning attorney in Oldsmar, Florida, Florida, local Florida area. And she has experience with this and I think it's going to be a great asset to this show. So without further ado, let me bring on Debbie Faulkner. There she is. Hi, Debbie. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thanks for having uh, the time to talk about it. If you look at my background, and this is not useful to the listeners, but to the viewers, you can see I got this peapod here and there's that one red peapod. There's always one, right? In every family. Always. Um, and if you don't know who it is, it's probably you, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for coming. Why don't you give a quick uh, intro about yourself to the listeners that haven't talked to you before? Great. Uh, yep. My name is Debbie Faulkner, and I'm the managing partner at Burke Faulkner Law, a estate planning and business transactional law firm in Oldsmar. I grew up locally in Palm Harbor, Florida, um, and I was educated at Cornell Law School. I've been an attorney 13 years, and before I became an estate attorney, I was uh, I clerked for appellate court, and then I prosecuted crime for about 10 months before I realized that was not my cup of tea. I went back to law school at Washington University in St. Louis and got my advanced law degree in tax law with this with an emphasis on a complex and advanced estate planning. So at our firm, we've helped clients uh, with. You know, barely two two nickels rubbed together, uh, and clients that with two hundred and fifty million dollars of net worth. So we kind of run the gamut here, and we've helped families with all different scenarios. So um, thank you for having me on the show today, Dan. I'm excited to talk to you and your listeners. Well, I'll tell you what, we've done shows in the past. I'll put them up here, and um, for the listeners and viewers, if you want to hear more about it, go and watch those. But today's topic is going to be on black sheep. This is an interesting topic. So. I, uh, for those that don't never heard the term, um, it's very common, but someone that's on the outs of the family dynamics is what I would call it. Typically, it's going to be someone that is um, seen in a negative light by the rest of the family members. Um, some typical scenarios would be a substance abuse, 
maybe a gambler, especially when it comes to leaving money for financial. Bad spouse, which is one you've mentioned before. And then it might be a special needs, maybe mental or physical special needs. But let's focus on the black sheep, the interesting ones. Do you have any particular that you want to talk about? Oh, there's so many. Um, uh, that runs the gamut so so widely. I mean, the most common scenario I hear of when, well, the most common scenario people think about when we talk about black sheep is a, a kid that is addicted to drugs or has a gambling problem. Those are the most common things people mm-hmm. think about initially, or an alcoholic, somebody yes. who can't hold a job, um, and they're worried about how they're going to spend their money, um, you know, but the less common, less talked about black sheep are people who have either skeletons in the closet and they uh, unfurl them at the attorney's office or uh, people who, uh, parents who want to leave their child money but they really hate their spouse. That is more common than one would ever think. Um, a lot. Of so maybe like a, like a daughter-in-law or a son-in-law that they don't trust or dislike? Yes, they say, oh, if I left my daughter money before she was married to this bozo, uh, she would have been so responsible and perfect with it. But now that she's married to this bozo, I can't trust her as far as I can throw her because he'll mince her to spend her inheritance on a Ferrari for him. And I don't want that and things of that nature. Um, And that actually is a pretty common scenario uh, in the reverse as well. Uh, My son married this woman. All she does is spend all his money on clothes and shoes and uh, other such frivolous things. And we we taught him good values. And, you know, we hear it all. Uh, Recently, I had a physician and his wife come in. Uh, He's he's in his 70s, so he, he had a massive fairly good portfolio of wealth and um, he was concerned even though they only have two children to leave the money for their son while he makes you know something in the neighborhood of 500,000 a year spends every penny and they just went on and on about their son's inability to uh, manage his finances and how he had a condo in uh, downtown Miami and another condo in Fort Lauderdale and all over the country wasting all of the money that he earns so we had to plan around that so maybe not necessarily a black sheep in the traditional sense where we might be concerned about drugs or alcohol or um, you know gambling but more of like a spendthrift child so that also is a fairly common scenario that may not be you know uh, you know talked about as a black sheep as much so in that particular case it's not necessarily I got two kids. I don't want to leave it 50-50 because you, you can you could do 75-25, you could do 100-0. Yes. But in that case it's I want 50-50, but I also want some I want to put a, a saddle. I want to I want to put a stopgap on my son because I don't trust him financially. Right. Right. And so what we typically do, I mean as you know, Dan, we've talked about in the past, there's really two ways to leave money. Well, three. You can leave it by will, you can leave it by trust, or you can leave by beneficiary designation. Both a will and a beneficiary designation essentially do not have strings attached to them. So uh, with the one exception, uh, which is called a testamentary trust, which is kind of created through a will, but that's still a trust nonetheless. So basically, if you want to leave money to any individual or charity with strings attached, you leave it through a trust. 
so with in that situation where I had the uh, you know the doctor's son who just can't seem to get his finances under control, we wanted to have you know measures in place to make sure that he has a retirement. There, his parents' main concern was that you know he's in his fifties now and he has nothing saved for his future. They wanted to make sure that. If they pass on, their son doesn't live destitute if he can't work. So what we do in that situation is we draft a trust. And obviously, we don't put the child that is spending all the money in charge of their own money. Uh, a lot of people seem to overlook that, um, which is bizarre. Really? Yeah. People think, well, I don't want him or her to feel badly as if I don't trust him or her. But the only way to make <laughs> sure that your money is actually given to the him or her on your time frame and with your rules is if you leave it through a trust with somebody else as the trustee, not your actual child with the issue. So do people typically have complete stranger be the trustee or do they have the other sibling be the trustee? Because I could see problems right there. Uh, so most people come into my office and say they want a family member to be trustee. But Dan, I have literally never recommended to a client that a family member take care of another family member. As I don't know if you have siblings, but I do. And one of my yeah. So uh, if two people go out uh, and they're they're siblings, and they go outside, one might say it's sunny, one might say it's cloudy, and they're looking at the same sky. So um, and not only that, but when the matriarch and patriarch of the family pass on, it's also an extremely traumatic event for every single party involved. So putting a, a sibling or aunt or uncle or some other family member in charge of another family member's money is very um it feels belittling to the individual who is subject to the trust. So even though they're grateful for the money, they feel as though they shouldn't have to ask permission. The other thing, what reason I don't recommend it is because in most of the trusts that we draft, I would say almost all of them, I put that the beneficiary, even if they're on like an allowance, let's say we give them, I just drafted a trust this week where the allowance is 40000 a year. So, um, but we have provisions in there that if the beneficiary is ill or, you know, basically if the beneficiary needs something in addition for their health or their education, uh, some sort of maintenance issue, the trustee can make the determination to issue additional funds. Well, you can foresee some scenarios where there may be health-related expenses and concerns where a family member may not feel comfortable sharing that with another family member. It may be a very personal or private issue. You know, a family may be going through a fertility issue or something and they want to talk about IVF, but they don't want their aunt or uncle or whoever's in charge to know uh, that that's why they want the money. If you have a third-party trust company, which is what I recommend, uh, I don't recommend, uh, I recommend a company. There are trust companies out there, that's all they do is administer these trusts for a low fee, um, you know, it's it's not intimidating. It's just a person on the other end of the phone. You're like, hey, here's the scenario. I, you know, myself and my husband or my, my you know, whoever, we want to go through a fertility uh, clinic and we, we would like extra money. So then the trustee, who's a third party, it's if it's built into the trust trustee's discretion, can issue that check and it, it causes less embarrassment. So there's a lot of reasons I recommend keeping the trusteeship outside the family. Well, sometimes, though, it might be I don't want to get the outside of the family involved. This is just, you know, uh, it's going to be simple. When they hit age 60, I want them to get 25%. It's simple stuff. Would would that be okay to involve a family member, or you suggest even that can get dicey? Um, I mean, I... I 
I think it's best to leave it outside the family, but um, a lot, I've had many, many clients who insist that they would prefer to keep it in the family, and that's their decision. Uh, I'm not here to kind of tell my clients what they should do um, with the, I mean, I do have recommendations, but they're just that. So if a client would prefer that their family uh, be in charge of the money, then they absolutely can do that. And the, you know, some of the benefits of doing that too is um, there are some trust companies who won't allow uh, a family to keep their financial advisor, things of that nature. So um, usually the trust that I, I draft, uh, we can put in directed trustees where they always allow your family to keep your existing financial advisor and things like that. But that's not all, uh, not all trusts are drafted the same. Right, because I, I could see there being some disagreements and right. something will come up. But what if someone says in the will, okay, I want my daughter to get, or I want my grandchild mm -hmm. to get $20,000 when they graduate college to buy their first house. Okay. I specifically wanted to go to the first house. And they write that in the will. What kind of level of confidence can they have that that's what's going to happen? Uh, I mean, well, is it legally binding? Is, yes. You know what I'm saying? Okay. So, yes, you can draft provisions like that. So you can say, you know, I'm concerned about my black sheep and they're not going to give any of my inheritance to their children, my grandchildren. So I want to specifically designate X dollars to go to my grandchildren at this specific time in the future. Um, I would say that's a, the likelihood of it happening depends on a few things. Number one, is there enough money left aside to satisfy that amount. Number two, um, it, are you set on the amount? Because if it if you're uh, planning for at a time in the future, presumably if you leave 20,000 behind for that grandchild, it's going to grow to maybe 40 or 50,000 if it's if it's invested with someone like you, Dan, where you're growing the investments on a, on a yearly basis every seven years or so, right? It's like doubles in money average on average. Good, yeah. So, you know, theoretically, if, if your grandbaby's, you know, under five years old or something, and you're waiting till they're 20 something, they could, you know, have double the money or triple the money that you set aside for them initially. So um, I would always encourage people, I mean, I, I use the creative drafting skills to try to make sure I get exactly what the client wants if they want something that happens in the future. But it's not that it's not legally binding, it's just that sometimes uh, the, the, the grandchild dies before they become that age or sometimes, you know, various different things happen. So I try to draft around whatever scenario may happen in the future. But who's overseeing this? So if I leave money to my child, my, my adult child and say, I want that money to go to your daughter when she buys her first house 20 years from now. Who's to say that daughter, my granddaughter probably doesn't even know it exists. You right. know, she might be four years old. Right. Um, so what kind of checks and balances are there for these types of scenarios? Is that why you want that outside company? That's precisely why I recommend having an outside company. Um, the, the child's only recourse if their parent spends all of their money before they get it is suing their own parent and they would have to know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and that's that why. That sounds horrible. Right. It, it creates a, a little bit of a family disaster. So um, I think that having professionals involved in certain scenarios is worth the money. Um, having a professional financial advisor is worth the money. Having a professional trustee company is worth the money. Um, I think, you know, they charge uh, 3% or less. Um, and, it, you know, it's oftentimes like 1% of the assets and they uh, are able to administer those rules. And if they don't administer them properly, uh, 
you're able to sue them, but all trust companies are required to have certain levels of insurance, bonds, and other such things that the family could go after and succeed in receiving the money back. And that's why I think it's safer in that regard. I mean, not everyone is going to want to uh, do that, but it is not complicated at drafting. It's extremely simple for me to write. Uh, it doesn't matter if you name Bank of America as trustee or if you name Dan Wendell or Debbie Faulkner as trustee. It's, it's the same amount of words on the paper just about, you know what I mean? So it's so not complicated. It, it, it really depends on how complicated you want to be right. um, and how trust how trusting you are on your family members. And your caution is you might want to just eliminate that headache for them because it could be a, like oh, that's an answer that's, that's a question i have great like point. how how difficult can these be how how inter can you say like i i'm gonna leave you a million dollars if and only if you you spread you go to the great pyramid of giza and and take a photo like can you how specific can you be and how much can you rule from the grave with one of these trusts? You can dictate what almost anything you want from the grave. There are very few public policy exceptions. Like you cannot incentivize divorce. Like you cannot make somebody's money contingent uh, upon them divorcing a certain person. That's one that's of the a, only- That's a good one to know. I didn't even think of that. That's pretty nasty. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, but there are, people come up with nasty stuff. So uh, that's one of the only things that you're not allowed to do. You can dictate from the grave all sorts of different things. I mean, one of my most recent kind of fun trusts to draft, I encourage my clients, they have a small child, seven-year-old child, and the child is not what we would consider black sheep, but, you know, you don't know at seven years old, what is your child going to be at 28, you know? If so, you know at, at age seven, then you really got a problem. Then you really got issues, yeah. So, um, so we draft in, in sort of uh, tranches, what I, what I call, what I think about as tranches, like, Let's plan if something happened to you and your spouse, this child was an only child, uh, how would we want your child raised? What are your values? Let's talk about your values and build those into the trust. So first, the money is to be spent, in this, in this couple's case, they wanted it spent on a private uh, secondary school education in their faith. So they were religious folks. So they put their faith within the uh, trust so that whoever became the guardian of their children was able to use that money first for that. And then I, I encourage them to also put as much flavor, as much color in the trust as possible. So we put in, you know, I want my child to be well-rounded. So money is also to be spent on my child's extracurricular activities so that my child can be well-rounded. This can include sports, music, et cetera. And we list out different things. Then um, I said, well, okay, let's talk about the next phase of life, 18 to 25 or 18 to 22, depending on the, the length of uh, post-secondary education and or technical school. So it's, I kind of encourage clients to think about life in phases because we we're not all in the same phase in life. Like a 22-year-old is not the same as a 39-year-old. So um, I kind of encourage clients to build it around uh, even prospectively about what they would want to do if they were here. So when I uh, when I encourage clients to think about is if you had if you could stop in time right now and stop all your bank accounts and every financial asset you have and take a snapshot and you never needed a single penny out of those assets ever again in your life, but you're still living. How would you want to divvy up those monies and, and what rules would you make apply to them? So in some people's case, I had a couple uh, back to the black sheep type of scenario earlier, uh, I guess it was last week that came in and they have, uh, they had two sons, they, they're in their 70s and there are two sons, one of them just recently passed away. Their son that passed away was an alcoholic and he left behind a stepdaughter and, a, and his biological son. 
So the grandparents, my clients, um, said, you know, they want to pass to their grandchildren. Well, their grandchildren, the biological grandson has a know-it-all, as they say. He's 22 years old and believes that he knows everything and knows how to spend money despite not holding a job. And the uh, adopted child, they treat as their own. And so they wanted to make sure that she receives the same as the other child. And they said they have more trust and faith in her to be able to manage her finances. So they wanted to, uh, you know, use my help to draft a trust for both of them where they have an annual income of 40000 for the rest of their life. I think the grandparents were going to take a million dollars for each of the grandchildren and put it in trust. And then we put different stipulations about full-time employment and um, that sort of thing. So, so what happens when the know-it-all, okay, <laughs> John, you're going to get 40000 if you follow these rules. And he's like, I'm not doing that. Screw that. Mm-hmm. I know better. What happens to that money? Do you write contingency plans in the trust? That is an awesome question, Dan. We draft all sorts of contingencies in the trust. So uh, I do not draft trust without at least two contingencies, uh, two contingency plans, because I feel as though, you know, it would be, uh, it would not be great for my clients if I left it to chance. So in that situation, I say, okay, so you want your grandchild to work full time and be able to demonstrate that he or she is not on drugs at the time of taking Taking their money. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what if they are, you know, how long do you want me to suspend their payments before they, you know, some people, if somebody tests positive for drugs, they want their entire inheritance out the door immediately. So, we could okay. draft them. And that's so not. So, where does it go? Like, do they specify plan B? Yes. So I asked them, you know, would you want it to go to your other grandchildren or your other children? Do you want it uh-huh. to go to a charity? Do you want it to, uh, you know, go back into the pot? So sometimes I had a trust that I drafted a few weeks ago where we had, I think, 33 beneficiaries. Nightmare. So, uh, but we can do whatever. But, you know, 33 people is, is a little bit cumbersome to draft for. But for each of those 33 people, we decided different contingency plans. With 33 people, one of them is going to be the black sheep, right? There's going to oh, be least, at least right, at least one. Them. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it's like a lot. But, um, yeah, one of my clients uh, recently brought in a trust they drafted where if the person tested positive for drugs, I think it was like one time or two times, then, bam, their entire inheritance was out the door. So that's a pretty large incentive to stay drug-free. So that's more understanding. That's Let's okay. Let's focus on the drug thing because that's a common one. Uh, people get that. All right. Let's say you know. Do they indicate in the trust you have to get tested every X months or is it random? And who's administering that? Who's calling them up and testing? Like that's a lot. That's a lot to ask, especially a family member. Yeah, you got to test your brother. Like that's when I could see getting a third party to come in. But right. I mean, what if they refuse the test? Is it then all right? Then that means so- you don't. You know, like this is, it's fascinating, it's scary, but people, this is real. This is real stuff. So, and whether you're leaving 500,000 or leaving 25,000 or leaving a million, like you can draft provisions in there like this, but you know, it depends on who is the trustee. So the trustee is who makes these, you know, enforces the rules of the trust. So, you know, if, you know, if it's an aunt or uncle in charge or a brother or sister, then they're going to be the ones responsible for making sure that uh, Susie is clean or whoever. Um, but, 
you know, if it's a professional trustee company, it may be the case that a brother or sister calls them and says, hey, my brother or sister's, you know, gone, gone into a rabbit hole and they're, you know, using drugs. I don't think you should give them any more mom and dad's money. And then the trustee company may require them to go show up at a lab the next day, you know, and give a drug screening. So it depends on um, who's in charge. That's the person who has to enforce the rules. So let's let's talk back about the bad spouse because you mentioned that's a common one yeah, now. My favorite one. <laughs> so, okay, let's imagine I have two children. I have three kids, right? Let's say I'm um, now fast forwarding. They're all married, and I disdain one of the wives. We'll say, and so I say, okay, I'm going to give you each, you know, five thousand a month. But if you, so how would I? How would I block out the spouse that I don't like? What what, what kind of yeah. stipulation could I put in there? Why would I? Well, I know why I'd do it, but is it legal? Yes, you absolutely can always cut out somebody's spouse, uh, particularly if they're not a blood relative of yours. There's no uh, legal rights or claims to any of your money, you know. And I, let me put the caveat. Nobody has a legal entitlement to your money in the sense that you have a proper estate plan drafted for you. But there are legal entitlements if somebody dies with no estate plan or dies with no will or trust. There are legal entitlements under the law for your bloodline relatives. So that's where people come up with that idea. But with respect to cutting out the children's uh, bad spouse, this happens so very often where people say, you know, my daughter was so perfect, but now she married this guy and they spend everything they can get their hands on. They have no, he just influences her tremendously. So I don't want her to have, you know, a bunch of money because he'll just convince her to spend it on dumb stuff or vice versa. So what we do is we, in the only real way to draft that is to keep the money in trust for the child and not for the child's and child's spouse. So that um, we can basically draft provisions that the trustee can spend all the money for your child's benefit so they can pay bills for your children they can you know send in mortgage payments for your children they can pay health bills for your children but that the child doesn't have ready access to their funds like at a specific age so one of my favorite uh, things to undo in, in people's trusts and estates is uh, when attorneys leave everything to their children at 20, 25, and 30, or 25, 30, and 35. Uh, there's two reasons that this is not a good idea in my in my estimation. Now, there's a wide variety of views on this. Number one, at 20, 25, or 30, or whatever the ages are, if at that moment in time your child has a creditor problem, because maybe they are a black sheep, maybe they spend everything they get, or perhaps they're less fortunate and they just went through a medical scenario and they, they have so many piling medical bills that they're going to have to file bankruptcy. If they're entitled to this massive inheritance right at the moment when there's a creditor problem, those creditors get all the inheritance of whatever they're owed at that moment. Because there's a law that says that if you are entitled to receive the funds, then they're considered yours. So like if, let's say, for example, I just, you know, caused a car accident right before my inheritance was owed to me. Oops, I don't know what happened. I wasn't paying attention, uh, texting and driving, and bam, I caused an accident. If I'm entitled to one third of my inheritance in three weeks from now, that belongs to me. So if I'm sued for that accident and they get a judgment against me, my inheritance goes to that third party. That's certainly not what mom or dad intended. So I always draft to say that that's not, that's not a permissible use of funds in any way, shape or form. So that if that ever happened to one of my client's kids, 
they aren't getting any of that money. Um, that money uh, gets uh, sort of tied back up into the trust. So I basically prohibit distributions that could be used for a third party creditor. Um, in similar ways, we can tie up the money to keep the money from going to somebody other than your children, other than the, you know, or the intended beneficiaries. Not everyone leaves for their children, but um, you can tie it up so that the spouses of whoever you're leaving the money for are not entitled to it by giving the trustee the latitude to pay for the uh, beneficiaries' bills and such, but without giving them ready access to like a full amount of the uh, bank account, essentially. And that might be useful also, not necessarily if they have a creditor, but maybe they're getting some financial aid. And Financial you know. aid is a great reason. I wouldn't have even thought of that off the top of my head. But yeah, that's another good reason. Bankruptcy, um, just all sorts of different things. Um, I actually had a couple come in. This is somewhat interesting little story uh, for a consultation. And wife had just inherited, I believe it was $4 million from her parents. And now inheritances, folks, are separate property if your kids are going to get divorced unless the inheritance goes into a joint account with the other spouse. That's just a preface to this story. So anyway, husband and wife come in for a consult. They weren't going through divorce. However, uh, wife had just inherited $4 million. Uh, husband and wife went out on a date, um, and husband picked up the wrong drink and was drugged, essentially. He doesn't remember a thing. He left the restaurant. The wife thought he used the restroom. He went, He left the restaurant, took their car, and he crashed and caused a very horrific accident where three people were uh, in some time. I think two of them were permanently injured, and another. they all had to be taken to the hospital. Husband doesn't remember anything after getting the drink, so he does not no knowledge. Well, because both husband and wife were on the title to the car, wife could be sued and husband could be sued if if it was just husband driving his own car only husband would have been involved and then all of the wife's stuff would be protected but because they were both on their vehicle now they were both subject to this crazy situation so that's another bad thing about inheritances if you just leave lump sums like that is that you just don't know so that would be a creditor potential situation but it wasn't even the wife's creditor it was just an accident so 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 the fact that they she deposited the money into the joint account is that what happened as opposed to, you know, having it in a trust and then having that layer? Yeah. If it was left in her trust, then it would not be subject to the husband's uh, creditors of any kind. Um, but you know, this is a little bit different because they both were on the car so that she could be sued as well separately. But had she not been on the car, like just that one little fact where she was not on her husband's car title, you know, all of her stuff would be a hundred percent protected and anything they owned jointly would be protected if, if wife wasn't able to be brought into the suit. There's just a lot of weird, wonky situations like that. So I recommend to clients that are concerned in any way about any of their, you know, I I think it's best to just leave money in trust and then and then attach rules to it. You can draft rules however wonky and weird they may be. Uh, You don't have to think there's not a uh, one size fits all scenario. So I encourage clients to just think of like, what would you feel comfortable with? What would you want to see the money spent on? Um, I usually put in all of my trusts that if my child or beneficiary, whether that's grandchildren, children, friends, whoever, uh, you know, receives a life-threatening diagnosis of some sort, then it's accelerated and the whole money is available to them all at once. You know, things like that. We always can plan extra stuff and extra contingencies. Or a lot of times people say, well, you know, I want them to be, I, I don't want my kids to have a whole bunch when they're in their young 20s, but what if they get married or something? 
So I always like to encourage people, I can draft things that say, you know, if my child gets married, buys a house, has a child, um, wants to start a business and, and presents a viable business plan, that the trustee can give my child even extra money on top of the allowance that I've already given them. Well, just to conclude then, I think what, what you're saying is you can, you can do whatever you want with these scenarios. Yes. You, know, you can have, you know, you got to take care of my parakeet. Uh, you know, oh, that yeah. kind of stuff, right? Um, yeah, and you'd be very lucky because some people, I've had clients leave um, $250,000 to each person that takes a dog. <laughs> right, right. You know, create a list. I'm on I'm on the list of potential uh, recipients of uh, of strays or whatever you want to call them. Yes, absolutely. So, okay, so you can you could create these things. You, you can rule from the grave. Yes. But you can't do it with a little pen and paper and writing a will. You, you have to follow some legal rules. You have to go through these channels. So that being said, and me being a financial guy, I'm always like, well, that sounds expensive. Um, do you provide some sort of consultation where you just sit down and say, all right, tell me what you're trying to do in a, in a, in a broad yes. sense, and I'll tell you whether or not you need a trust, and if you do, I'll kind of give you an idea of how much that's gonna cost you. Yes, we do um, like an initial like preview consultation where we review like your assets, we review your uh, family situation, we have like an initial, um, you know, kind of deep dive into your situation. We do that for $250. And then if you buy, like eventually buy something else, like whether you, it's like a will package, if we go that route or a trust package, then we have a flat fee structure. And we just email that whole flat fee structure ahead of time so that you know what it is. And then um, the, those fees from the initial consult are applied if you end up going with whichever package that we offer. So you'll hear people's stories, that you, know, yeah. <laughs> you know, and say, here's what I'm trying to do. And you'll say, well, all right, fine, we can. Or you might say, no, you can't do that. Like, I wouldn't have known. Hey, you can't say you'll get this money only when that your spouse is divorced. You know, when you when you get rid of her or him, yeah, you know, that's one of the that's only interesting. Yeah. I'm sure you can't you can't do anything illegal, too. You know, you got to go rob a bank and prove your worth. You know, so. yes, you can't, you can't incentivize illegality and you cannot right. incentivize divorce. That's good so, to know. Yeah. This is interesting. Well, I appreciate you taking the time. We're going to have to do this again because, you know, looking at my list of shows, the ones that you are on, that this is the first video one that we did, the, the ones that you were on with audio, people are listening to the, the basics about wills. So I think we got to continue to do this. But um, thank you again. Any last words you have about maybe uh, black sheep scenarios and things people should consider? You should definitely consider uh, dictating from the grave. And dictating from the grave involves doing a trust. So uh, that's what I would recommend. And I just want to say very much thank you, Dan, for having me on your show again. I am honored to be your guest and really appreciate your time and effort uh, in contacting me and help and letting me be here today. I appreciate it, too, your time as well. I'm going to bring in my kids to do the exit discussion, and maybe these guys would be in a trust that I create. We'll see. The topics on this show are wide-ranging yet relevant to people approaching or living in retirement, like me. If there is a topic you want to hear on the show, head to dolphinfinancialgroup.com and contact Dan to request your topic or to share your opinion. Dan Mundell or Dolphin Financial Group are not affiliated 
or endorsed by Social Security or any government agency. Everything discussed on today's show was for informational purpose only. Since everyone's situation is different, some things may not apply to you. The materials presented are believed to be from reliable sources. We cannot be 100% certain that they are accurate. You should really talk to my dad or someone from Dolphin Financial Group before trying to implement these ideas or try.